Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Casual Try Hard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And we somehow made it to 20. Somehow. Uh, 20 episodes and what are, like 2,200 downloads? That was the last look. Yeah, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. So uh, we'll get this out of the way now. It's 2,200 downloads. Yeah. And two emails from a guy named Nick in Canada. Come on, people. Thanks, Nick from Canada. Yeah, reach out to us. Yeah. We need your help here. Uh, we certainly do, uh, especially for uh, episodes like this one that are kind of in the middle of a standard season, and we don't necessarily have a ton new to talk about. If there is anything that you guys want to hear about, you can reach us on Facebook at Casual MTG. You can email us at CasualTryHardMTG at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at uh, CasualTripod. Yeah. And uh, we've got a few more followers, and again, I try to keep that relatively well curated and send out reasonable magic information and just goofy stuff i think of yeah you send out a bunch of good information on there i've certainly poached deck lists from there yeah there we go uh so reach out and like help us out next week uh we're gonna be another video episode yep we're gonna be at uh, myrtle beach games uh you'll get to look at our ugly mugs again and we'll be talking all about modern horizons uh we should have the set completely spoiled by then i believe and uh we got a whole bunch of cool stuff to talk about. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. So I think what we're going to talk about today is kind of our first thing, mm-hmm. is kind of a leveling the battlefield. Yep. Uh, we're going to go back to knowing your role and how to approach different matchups, like broad archetype matchups. Yeah, we're not going to talk about specific lists. We're going to talk about more broad strokes. So if you're playing control and you are playing against an aggro opponent, we're going to tell you what to do to approach that matchup or some combination thereof. So I think we're going to start with how to approach control matchups. Okay. And we're going to break it down in if you're playing the mirror, mm-hmm. if you're on an aggro deck, yep. or if you're on a mid-range deck. Yep. And, well, for this case, uh, the mirror is the control deck. So we're going to right. th- kind of take the three broad archetypes and yep. talk about it against each other. Okay, so why don't we start with the worst one, what to do in the control mirror. Uh, hit your land drops. Yeah, that's basically it. Typically, the first person to do something mm-hmm. is the person that loses. Right. If you if you watch any sort of coverage, that's typically what happens. The first person to make a move is at a mana disadvantage, and they end up getting punished for it. And so you'll see a lot of times those matchups, they'll just hit land drops, mm-hmm. and then we'll discard the hand size. Yep. The person who usually has to make the first move is the person who starts missing land drops. Yep. Where then they have to cast some sort of card draw spell or they have to kind of take some sort of proactive step mm-hmm. and then that opens the door for their opponent so you know your opponent has hit their six land drop and you miss your six land drop and you're like well i guess i'm going to try to jam my teferi now mm-hmm. and then they counter it and then they jam their conf- teferi plus they have now protection for it and right. you're like buried yep and you were tapped out you couldn't do anything about their teferi and now you're stuck yeah so you just kind of go Back and forth, and a lot of times those matchups come down to decking. Right. Just running people out of cards. And if you watch, again, watch on coverage, like the libraries will be really full. Yeah. And people will start counting and be like, oh, I have 23 cards. Yeah. You have 24 cards. I'm losing this game. Yeah. Especially lately with the uh, the lack of win conditions, the lack of threats to close a game, that becomes a real issue. It's a really weird matchup. And if you watch the Mythic Imitational, you have to watch a lot of mm-hmm. people just not do anything. Yeah. And woo. There's one of the one of the Mythic Imitational matches was the Esper Mirror. And to move the, the tournament along, mm-hmm. 
they just did a they did a library count. Oh yeah, that's right. And they just ended it, right? They just ended it, and it was like twenty two cards to twenty five cards in the library, and they were yeah. like, "Yeah, you're going to lose this game. We're just going to call it now." Yep. And that's what they did, so they could do the next round because mm-hmm. they didn't want to have like twenty minutes of dead time where people just didn't see or do anything. Yeah. All right. So. Other than that, there's not a whole lot much else to talk about the control mirror, right? Yeah, I'm sure if we got uh, Bowman or Logan here who were like dedicated control mages, they well, would... Well, see, that's the thing, though, is if you're, if you're the kind of person that is wondering how to approach the control mirror, mm-hmm. it's probably not your first, uh, your first rodeo with the deck. Yeah, I guess my, my point being that uh, more like they might have more nuance yeah. in, in how you approach that. I think the other yeah. two, where being mid-range or aggro, I think mm-hmm. we have a lot of experience being those against control right so mid-range how do you approach a mid-range versus control game i guess it kind of depends which mid-range deck you're playing i like to play most of my mid-range lists are black and have discard and that is your best tool against control um get in early to try and disrupt what they're trying to do with some hand disruption it also helps you to double spell which is how you get a leg up on control. If you can cast a discard spell to try and rip their hand apart and then stick your threat all on the same turn, they can probably only only interact with one of those things. Um, so that's how you can kind of get a foothold for that. Is there anything that uh, that you, you typically do? I think also just you want to make sure you get as, as much value as possible out of your cards. Right. So if you have a card that you need a condition and then you get to draw a card, mm-hmm. right? you really want to try to make sure you meet that condition. Right. So when you play it, you can draw a card. So let's say we were in some world where, I forget the name of the uh, the merfolk, the, the two green, blue, you draw a card when it comes into play. If one of your creatures is a plus one, plus one counter. Oh, uh, Zagana? Zagana. Yeah. Right? Like, if you're playing a deck with Zagana against control, you yeah. really want to make sure you can get that extra card. Yeah, to the point where, like, you would skip playing that if it was your only threat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be like, you know what? I need to make sure I, I get the card out of this so mm-hmm. I can two-for-one them and make them have to answer this plus whatever I got. Yeah. So you really want to try to, like, squeeze as much value out of every single card. Mm-hmm. Because, like, control decks are kind of set up to beat uh, mid-range. Yeah, they, that's the kind step, of their bread and butter. They're the step bigger, so you are kind of at a disadvantage on the deck list sheet. Yeah. So you've got to try to, like you said, if you can disrupt their plan somehow through, right. like, sideboarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times if you're, like, a blue mid-range deck, you bring in your own counter spells like negate mm-hmm. to counter wraths and things like that. Yep. Um, that's kind of a, another topic we can talk about real quick. I'm sure we're going to go into it a little bit more in depth when we talk about the aggro matchup which mm-hmm. is coming up next but you also kind of want to play around the wraths right yeah you want to in this is mid-range and, and aggro both one of yeah. those you want to put enough on the board that they are compelled to use their sweeper mm-hmm. but you want to have enough left over that you can rebuild afterwards you can rebuild right so there has to be enough pressure that you don't get that you're able to put them on a reasonable clock so they don't yeah. get just get to like hit their land drops. Yeah, you you want to force their action. You don't want them to act at their leisure. Yes, like the the gruel deck now that has mm-hmm. uh, five mana sarkin. If you can, yeah. if you're on the play and you can put enough pressure out that they have to spend their turn four casting Kaya's Wrath. Mm-hmm. Now you get to stick your sarkin. Yep. And now you make a dragon, and now you've got two threats out of that one card. Right. 
and now they have to deal with both a creature and, and a, a planeswalker, planeswalker, right? As opposed, so you don't want to, you don't want to just throw all your stuff out there early and mm-hmm. have them like Kaya's Wrath it, right? Like, and then not have anything, right? But there are times where you're like, well, I've drawn like five lands, like this is all I've got, and I've got to, I've got to hope they got to cross my fingers. Yeah, hope it, they don't have it. it's also really hard because one of the ways that a control deck wins is by trading down in mana yes where they want to answer a four drop with a two drop or a three drop they want to answer your six drop with a four drop if you can force them to play backwards if you if you can force them to answer your two drop with a four drop you're winning there well i mean that's uh why aggro decks are typically the the natural predator of control decks right is because you're playing a bunch of things that are one and two mana and a lot of times control decks they have to have a broad range of answers and yep. those cards that answer multiple things are three and four mana think mm-hmm. of mortify or bedevil or Vraska's right. contempt they all answer multiple permanent types right but they cost more mana so if you like have a two two get to lava runner mm-hmm and they had to spend a Mortify on it. Yeah, that's great. They eat their whole turn three to kill your 2-2. Two, two. To you, kill your turn one play. Yeah. yeah. So that puts you ahead. So when you're aggro, you're trying to get under them, mm-hmm. almost to the point of being willing to throw cards away. Yes. Right? You want to be able to go, like, if you can go, like, one drop, one drop, one drop. You do that. And get in damage, and then you get Cry of the Carnarian, or you get Wrath. You're mm-hmm. like, well, I got in eight damage that way. Yeah, realistically, that's all those cards were going to do anyway. Yeah. So you kind of want to get under them before they get set up. So mm-hmm. you're not trying to stop them from getting set up by doing anything to their hand. Yeah. You're trying to stop them from getting set up by making sure they're dead by turn four, turn five, when they get to start playing their big things. Yeah. If you're if you're playing aggro against a control deck and you've made it to turn six and they're not either dead or extremely close to, you're not gonna win. Yeah, that was the that was why the Esper control deck from last season was so good. It had yeah, it had all life gain. Out. Yeah, it had absorb and it had a moment of craving. Yeah. So like you would throw your cards away to get in damage and then they would cast an absorb and they would two for one you because mm-hmm. it was three damage that you have to deal again plus they took your wizard's lightning yeah. or your uh skewer the critics right so that's why that matchup was so hard but typically control decks when you're like the red aggressive deck or a white aggressive deck you can get them to two three four mm-hmm. before they start to stabilize yeah and then with a red deck, you can try to find a spot where you can sneak in those last few points. Yeah, of you look for with, a window. Yeah, with reach or whatever. Yeah, it's harder with just like a white aggressive deck where you ha- where you just have to attack. Right. Because they're set up to kill creatures. Yeah. As you're trying, you're just trying to do everything you can to get in as much damage as possible mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Another thing that's kind of important is it helps very much to know what control deck you're playing against and kind of know what's in it. Yeah, like what their answers are. Uh, well, not just what their answers are, but what they're using to get ahead also. Like if they're if they're planning on pulling ahead by using Chemister's Insight, mm-hmm. and they're really looking to cast Chemister's Insight on four, if you can try and do something meaningful to make them interact with you and keep them off of that Chemister's Insight, not, not let them use their mana efficiently, make them trade awkwardly on mana, whatever... That's another way for you to get a foothold and kind of claw ahead in that matchup a little bit. Yeah, so like if you're playing Gruul, which, you know, depending on the build, can be pretty aggressive, Mm -hmm. and your turn three is like a spellbreaker. Right. Right. Now they have to counter it 
or they're just going to take three damage. Right. Or your turn four spellbreaker. They have to counter it. Mm-hmm. And then that gets them off Camaster's Insight for a turn. Right. And so then that means that, again, you are ahead there because now they can't maybe hit their fifth land drop mm-hmm. or they're not two cards deeper to finding their wrath to answer all of your stuff. Or they're Teferi to help them stabilize or whatever it is. So, yeah, you there's a lot of times where you want to do something on four with the idea that then that's going to stop them or whatever their card draw turns. Right, yeah. Right? Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, or some w- whatever it is. Yeah, it's been four for the last couple of standards. Yeah, last couple of standards it has been. Right, but you want to do something where then they have to go like, okay, I either ha- get to draw my cards or I get to answer this. Mm-hmm. And you make them make a decision and you're okay with it gets countered, I'm fine. Or if it gets killed when it resolves, it's fine. Right. Because I'm keeping them off of what they're doing. Yeah. What they, what they would have done otherwise. So yeah, try to go under them. Yep. So then we have how to play. Uh, we have it as mono red, but just like mm-hmm. the aggressive. aggressive yeah, whatever the mirror. aggro deck yes. is. Um, so the first thing is the mirror. How do we approach the mirror and the aggro? I think we've talked about this before. It depends on, it depends on play draw. Mm-hmm. If you're like the red deck, if you're in the mono red type mirror, mm-hmm. If you're on the draw, a lot of times you want to be more controlling and try to answer all of their permanents uh, block aggressively. Right. Because you're up a card. Right. And, and that, sounds, that's all that matters. Yeah. And it sounds really odd. You're like, why does that one card matter? Because you might get to a point where you have answered all of their plays mm-hmm. and then your extra card is your threat that wins you right. the game. Yeah. It's your chain willer or whatever it is. Right. So I oftentimes... Right, would try to set up situations where I could make sure my chain wheeler got a two for one. Yep. I'd like, well, I'd like come on, play Vishino Pyromancer. Yeah. So I can eat something. Kill, yeah, kill, kill your chain, uh, your your Pyromancer. Have my threat. Now I have two for one. You right, right, and like you look partway through the game on like turn four, and then you're like, oh. I'm up two cards. They have no cards in hand. I have two cards in hand. Yep. I'm winning this game. Even if you're at 15 and they're at 17, you're yep. still winning the game. Or you get even further in the game and your opponent has no cards in hand and you have no cards in hand and you look at the battlefield and you have one more land than they do and a threat. Yeah, and you're, you're ahead. Yep. Now, the current red decks, uh, the problem with that is sometimes Frenzy just yeah. Changes erases all that work. Yeah. But that's typically what you want to do. I think in like the more creature-based aggro decks where you don't have as much reach and removal, mm-hmm. I think there you're more like, tr- again, trying to trade aggressively. Mm-hmm. And then again, you're trying to get to a point where you get to a turn where you have the Venerated Loxodon yeah. or you have the Knight Token. Right. And it's like, hey, I have a Knight Token. You don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Now I'm on the aggressive side of things. And now you have to play things to answer me. Right. And you're always going to be down a card now. Yep. They play their 2-2, they block your 2-2, and then you play another threat. And now they've got to, they draw a land, they just take damage. Right. You want to be more controlling on the draw and on the play. I feel like you're you're still on that aggressive slant. You have mm-hmm. to be aware of what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, you still have to be careful not to get blown out because like, you have to know what kind of board state they're working for obviously you're the aggressor you still need to keep applying pressure 
but try and do it in a way that doesn't benefit your opponent. Yeah, so maybe if you had, let's say, a two-drop with two toughness mm-hmm. versus a two-drop with one toughness, maybe you play the two-toughness uh, two-drop mm-hmm. so it can't get chain whirlered. Or like half a step beyond that, try and get your opponent to the point where they have to commit a chain whirler before it can eat your guy with one toughness. Exactly. And then you bring in your... And then you bring in your other things. Yeah. Yeah, you play the game like, I can't get two for one. Right. I can't be at a disadvantage here. Yep. And then that lets you... you pull ahead you've made one of their better cards worse right yep i agree so how about the uh the mid-range matchup what are we doing against a super hyper aggro with a mid-range deck again this is this deck you have an advantage Mm -hmm. on the deck red sheet yep right mid-range decks are there to beat beat aggro yeah yep so you're typically a step bigger Mm -hmm. so maybe you don't start playing things until turn two but those things are typically bigger right or accrue some sort of value yep you're trying to cast four and five mana spells Mm -hmm. and they're trying to cast three mana spells so your spells later in the game you're going to use your mana Mm -hmm. more efficiently on more turns correct and then your stuff's just eventually going to just be bigger Mm mm-hmm than their stuff. Yep, I agree. You're you're at an advantage. You're still going to try to get value out of your cards where you can, mm-hmm. but you are really focused, especially in the creature-based matchups uh, or against creature-based aggressive decks like Mono White. You need to make sure you have blockers out because mm-hmm. getting a three-three, right? Uh, you know, playing a Jade Light Ranger and, and being a three-two or a four-three just stonewalls all of their stuff. Yep. And then you have to use your removal judiciously. Right. You're uh, you are playing a bigger role in the matchup where you're going bigger than your opponent is, and your cards are generally more powerful. So basically, your job is to survive. Yeah. Um, if you can make it to turn five or six and not be almost dead, you're probably in a good spot. Your single singular card just does more than theirs. If you're, you know, say you're playing Sultai and you've got, you know, it's turn six and you've got a Krasis in your hand and you're playing against Mono Red and they have a fanatical firebrand in their hand, which one's going to do more that game, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Your, your cards are just worth a lot more than theirs are. So a lot of times that's enough is to just survive. And then in the post-board games, the red decks or the aggressive decks usually try to go bigger somehow. Mm -hmm. Well, they try and diversify. Diversify, but a lot of times the red decks typically go to, been for the last two years, Rekindling Phoenix. Right. Or uh, Chandra. They try to Mm -hmm. go to some like four mana play Mm -hmm. that is bigger, that lines up better with your stuff. Right. So you have to be aware in sideboarding like, okay, this season of standard, what is the go bigger Card. card that people play yeah i need to make sure i have an answer for that go bigger card mm-hmm. so i'm just not left unable to answer it right you want to make sure it's that your answer still lines up with their little stuff mm-hmm. so it might be a different removal spell it might be a different creature that you bring in that can deal with that bigger thing or you might just be set up well enough to go like well i just have to make sure i don't cast my crisis until yeah. it's a five five yeah then i can just block their phoenix forever yeah then it doesn't matter yeah but you have to be mindful of that, that post-board, your aggressive opponents are typically going to try to get a little bit bigger. Yeah, like half a step. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're already bigger and you're probably still going to be bigger. Mm-hmm. But you just need to be aware that these are the cards that are going to be coming in. Right. And each each standard season or, you know, each format that, like, it changes. bigger option changes. And it's yeah. just knowing what it is. I mean, I've had mono white decks bring in Lyra. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh. 
Yep. Or a, a Johnny was yeah. popular for a little a while. Johnny is like he makes your stuff bigger, plus mm-hmm. he brings back yep. your dead creatures. Brings you up a card. Yeah. And that's something that aggro decks will do against control is they'll have some, some sort of value engine built in, like a Johnny with something mono-white brought in against Esper. Yep. Because it's like, now I get to bring back something you killed, mm-hmm. plus now I have this thing that's going to make all of my threats more relevant, and eventually I'll get to bring something else back if you don't answer this. Yeah, and it helps them play around rats too because they can kind of go tall instead of wide. Like that deck is built to go really wide, which falls prey to all of the different rats that Esper plays, um, where a Johnny can help you kind of go tall and not have to commit a ton to the board. Yeah, you can get a leg up as an aggro deck against mid-range or control by you know, being sometimes being creative with what your go-big thing is. Right. If everyone's doing, I don't know if you're going to do better than Phoenix. Yeah, but Phoenix if, is but good. if everyone's going big with one card and you have another card that is, you know, in your mind as good, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you get a leg up by playing that that different four drop, right? That is kind of sticky and resilient. Or if you know you your opponent's going to be bringing in lava coil to take care of whatever you know threat you're going big with, maybe try and find something with five five toughness that doesn't get. Yeah, it's really about to invalidate that card. Yeah. Now you've got a 5-5. Five, five, yep. And they have a card that can't answer it. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you can also do, especially when a format gets more settled. Yeah. Because then everyone kind of has their sideboard plan of, oh, they played mono red. I bring in these cards. And right. This is what they're here for. Yep. If you can... Uh, you know, what is it, zig when they zag, mm-hmm. right? You can maybe get a leg up by like, oh, no, I brought in this other card. Right. I can't think of a good... Phoenix is a really good answer. Phoenix is a really good one, yeah. Right. But if you're, you're mono white and everyone brings in Lyra, but you bring in Shalai because it's yeah a little bit smaller, it makes it so the removal is bad against all your other stuff. Right. Right. That could be enough of a difference mm-hmm. that gives you a leg up. Yep. Over someone else because they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that four mana. I was, I was prepared to deal with your five mana play. Right. And you played your big thing a turn early. Mm-hmm. Now I have to answer this before I can answer anything else. Mm-hmm. And it gets you, it gets you a, a little bit of an advantage. Yep. You're basically just trying to put them on the back foot. Yeah. Yep. All right. So then we have the mid range matchup, which is, which is where you, you, your home. This is definitely where I live. So how, how does the mid range mirror go? Pretty awkwardly. Not that you're sitting around doing nothing, but it does play out kind of like a control mirror where one of you is just trying to stick a haymaker and hopefully follow it through. Like the last mid-range deck was Sultai, and basically it was whoever gets their Carnage Tyrant first wins. That was my first thought. I was like, that is kind of the yeah. best haymaker we've had. Like, yeah. you can't kill it. Right. You've got all your removal. It's kind of like the the aggro mirror as well where one of you might be more controlling yeah a lot of times you do either go like half a step bigger or half a step smaller mid-range like just in general is kind of about accruing like small advantages over the course of the game and having them add up into two or three cards by the time you're ready to close the game out so planeswalkers kind of fit really nicely into that and they're a really important tool for the mid-range mirror planeswalkers are going to be where you get most of your advantage it really doesn't matter if you find your carnage tyrant if you draw four cards off of vivian yeah. You know what I mean? You've just gotten so much, so many extra cards that I have to answer. Right, yeah. I know there's like certain conditional Wraths that mid-range decks sometimes play, but it's really not easy for mid-range decks to play Wraths. Because they're creature decks in, by right. nature. Right, yeah. 
So if you can, you know, just overwhelm them with card advantage, that's a way you can get up. If you can kind of tune your list to a point where you have a really hard-to-answer threat for whatever mid-range deck you think you're going to go up against, um, that's another way to get a leg up. Discard is kind of funny, especially in the mirror. Normally it's not great. Um, Normally you want to pull most of it, but it depends how good the discard is too. In the world of Thought Erasure, like, that card's pretty good. Like, I I don't think you cut that. It answers everything. It's not yeah. like a duress right. where the mid-range deck is going to be 20 to 25 creatures yeah. and then, you know, 10 non-creature spells where, like, you might miss yeah. with a duress or you might get something that's not super impactful. Well, I mean, the surveil's relevant, too. Yeah, but Thought Erasure, you're going to get, right, if you've got your threat that you need to have survived, yeah. you can take a removal spell. Right. If you have... Removal spells with no answer for planeswalkers is going to get you a planeswalker. Right. If you have no answers for creatures, right, you get to take whatever creature you can. Yeah. You get to take their Carnage Tyrant. Yep. Right. So it's more flexible. Yep. So if you're the control player, how are you trying to approach mid range? I'm not a hundred percent sure of this. I don't play enough control. This is where we need outside experts. Yeah. I'm not sure either. I think it comes down to kind of... I think your deck's just like set up to be good in the matchup, right? I don't know if there's anything specifically that you need to be doing differently. Yeah, like I think maybe you're just happy if someone plays like Basic Forest. Yeah. Sweet. Other than like maybe fine-tuning your removal a little bit. Yeah, especially Um, like post-board, like knowing what your removal needs to be. And I think also, again, you're, you're trying to manage the battlefield. Yeah. And since they're not at least early on going to be playing doing a lot of double spelling like they're trying to go right. two three four it's easy for you to go like spot removal spell and then on their three drop go like well i can wait mm-hmm. and if they commit something else to the board i have a wrath right or if they don't i can kill that and save myself some damage mm-hmm. you have your life total as a resource as they always say so yeah. like you can make a decision like well i can take the hit from the three drop to see if they play a four drop information is important here too i know we talked about uh like a little bit of discard stuff in the mid-range mirror. Like I said, preface to that, it's not always correct to have discard in in the mid-range mirror. We are kind of talking, you know, thought erasure specifically is kind of good, but normally that's not how you approach that. But in the control versus mid-range, information is really important. And if you can take a haymaker from them, not only have you taken something that maybe you didn't have an answer to, but it also lets you plan your turns out. If yeah, it lets you, you line up your answers. Yeah, if you know that they have something you have you have to counter on four, then you have to kind of make plans to cast your card draw spell otherwise. Or it lets you know, okay, I have this Mortify, mm-hmm. or I have this counterspell which one can i use when right it's safe i i it's safe for me to mortify this mm-hmm. because i have a counterspell for their next threat right or i have to counterspell this and then save this mortify for this other threat that they have yeah right so it lets you it lets you have that information lets you know which cards to play when mm-hmm. so it's not just knowing like well i have to counter this so i can cast my card draw spell later it's Knowing, like, they have four threats, I have four answers. Mm-hmm. What is the best way for me to sequence my answers right. with how I think they're going to sequence their threats? Yeah, especially if you're, like, your interaction is kind of um, targeted. Like, if you have a negate and a Vraska's Contempt and a Moment of Craving, and you look at their hand and you see a Vivian uh, Branch Walker and something else. 
whatever. You need to know that, you know, if you need to burn that Vraska's Contempt, then you need to save your negate for that Vivian. You know what I mean? You need to make sure that your yeah. your answers are going to line up appropriately. Yeah, so that's that's where the information is really important. Yep. That's why years ago now, thought C's may have been too good for standard. Yeah. Right, because everyone just got to know everyone's hand right. at all points yep. for one mana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, as control, you're trying to, again, make sure they don't get value and make sure you line up your answers with their threats. Yep. And knowing how to do that takes practice. It even, takes a lot of practice. Even people that play a lot of control. Yeah. Right? You, you know, someone will cast something and you'll see them kind of go in the tank and th- be thinking about, like, okay, based on what's in my hand and what I think they have, they mm-hmm. haven't cast a thought erasure. What is my best answer here? Do I just let this resolve and then kill it? Do I counter it? Yeah. Do I. You almost have to play a turn or two ahead. Yeah. Do I spend my turn four out with a wrath mm-hmm. and now I take a hit here, but then I'm up two card? I'm up a card because I two for one them with my wrath. Mm-hmm. You are set up in an advantageous position. Before you sit down. Right. As a control player against mid-range. Yep. And then, again, knowing in the post-board games what the mid-range deck's going to bring in. Correct. So, like we said, the blue base ones will bring in the gate, so you need to know, like, well, I need to play around counter spells here. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, they're going to bring in a Planeswalker package. Right. What Planeswalkers are they going to bring in? How do I plan on answering these? Mm-hmm. Playing control requires you to have a greater knowledge of the format. Just in general, yeah, yes, I agree. Because you have to know what the best use of your cast down is Mm -hmm. in every single matchup right as opposed to just you know mono red three damage is three damage yeah it's always three damage (laughs) it's always three damage lava spike always says the same thing that's right that is a bit of a difference Mm -hmm. it requires kind of more study right to know like how people are going to sideboard what all their threats are and then how to line everything up Mm -hmm. so how about the aggro matchup when we're playing uh aggro against mid-range i think the aggro player is usually boned at least game one yeah it's pretty tough because you're like your one drop almost always is going to get blanked by their two drop. Right. Same goes for two to three and three to four. Yeah. And then you're on turn four, you're casting one drop, one drop, and they're casting a four drop. Yeah. Now, depending on your your aggro deck, right, your plan might just be to go wide. Mm-hmm. You know, mono white, for example, just goes really, really wide. And it makes it tough for mid-range decks because, like we alluded to a little while ago, it's tough for mid-range decks to play Wraths. And that's how you combat going wide. So you go wide and you get to the point where you can just go like, I'm going to throw all these creatures at you. Mm -hmm. Some are going to trade. Some are going to get eaten. But I'm going to get in seven damage here. Yeah. And then we're going to do it again. Yep. And hopefully that's good enough. Yeah, mono white in this format, or I guess last format, had a tendency to go wide and stuff would get super tall as well. Like I had more than one game where I was on like Gruel and I was like, why is this like vampire token a 4-4 and I can't block it? Yeah, or the Snubhorn Sentries a 6-6. Yeah, like well, what happened? What? Yeah. What things did I do wrong that I am now dealing with, like, an aggro deck that has mid-range sized creatures? Yeah. Right? So if you can go, you know, you know wide and tall, mm-hmm. or wide and just a little tall so that, like, all those wide threats matter. Right. Right? A bunch of 1-1s are fine, mm-hmm. but if you can find a way, you know, Benelish Marshall or some other, like, Anthem effect to get them to two power creatures. Right. Now they matter more. Yep. And if you can make them three power creatures, then you're trading your one drops for their three and four drops. Yes. And then you you are ahead on that exchange. Yep. But those kind of aggro decks are few and far between. Yeah. 
Um, if you think about the old mono red or red black deck that had like Hazaret, mm-hmm. right? That was a big threat that was sticky mm-hmm. that you played in the main and also gave you reach. Like right. that card was like everything you could ever yeah, want. Yeah, that card was great. I played it in Jun for a little bit. Yeah, in Modern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that card gave you more more outs, more more play. Yep. Post board, like we said, you're going to try to get a little bit bigger mm-hmm. and hope that you can have your sticky, resilient threat be sticky and resilient. Yeah, and not go immediately answered. Yeah. And then you're going to hope to kind of ride that yep. to to victory. So we talked about uh, Phoenix being a good, sticky, resilient threat. I just kind of wanted to point out that Chandra is also kind of a sticky, resilient threat. Yeah, the, the new Chandra. The new Chandra. A lot of times I've heard it compared to a Lava Axe, which is a legitimate comparison. Um, if you're playing especially against mid-range and they don't have a straight-up removal spell for Chandra, they can't let you keep getting value off of it. And yeah. if they have to attack into it, that's just kind of fueling your game plan of you know, dealing 20 points of damage to them because the Chandra's just going to hit them right back. Like maybe when rotation comes, that kind of turns into that Phoenix slot as Chandra. Yeah, where you get to have something that's going to give you value. Yeah. That's going to be good against mid-range or control. Yep. So we left off one archetype. We did. We did. It's because it doesn't show up in standard too often. It does not. And Um, that's combo. Yeah, it's also the trickiest. Yeah, because it really depends on what your combo is is yeah so in general if you're playing against an aggro deck mm-hmm. you just try to go faster than they do it's sometimes that's possible sometimes that's not this is true like if yeah. you sometimes like if you're playing ad nauseum and modern mm-hmm. you just hold on with whatever combination of things that are gonna like get you to turn five mm-hmm. and then you better have all your parts together or you're dead yeah um so you try to go a little bit faster mm-hmm. against mid-range is probably where you're best usually depending yeah. on what distru- disruption they have right because that you usually have enough time to set up this is again like in control you use your life mm-hmm. your uh, life total as a resource you're like if i can get to one and have all my pieces yeah, then it doesn't matter then i get to win right you can think of nexus as like a con as like a combo deck absolutely right where where they're just like, I'm going to cast this. I'm going to try to find my pieces. I'm yep. going to cast these root snares to get me a couple extra turns. Yep. And then I'm going to just cast Nexus a whole bunch and try to win. I'm really glad you said Nexus right there. I, I, I had a, a vision in my head of you saying uh, Command was going to be your example of a combo deck. And it's not super combo. Yet. It is not. That that's, was going to be my argument was that the Command deck is not a combo deck. That's a mid-range deck. It is a mid-range deck that does a combo thing sometimes. Yeah, kind of, sort of. It just, I don't know that I call it a combo deck. Yeah, it's, no, it's not It has a combo ish finish, but yeah. it's not really a combo. You're it's playing just like a, a regular card. game of magic. Yeah. Yes. And then against control, you're trying to, as a combo player, maneuver the game such that you get to resolve whatever spell or combination of spells you need to resolve. Mm hmm. So depending on your combo, right? If you're if you're not a creature based combo, a lot of times a lot of the removal is dead. Yeah. So the cards that matter are counter spells, mm-hmm. and so you're trying to pressure them in such a way that they have to use their mana. Yeah. And then have be shields down. Right. You're trying to bait their bait their counter spells out or bait them into doing something with their mana. You know, again, if you have access to your own counter spells post board, mm-hmm. or Hand disruption, and this was something that we hadn't touched on hand disruption before. This is really big and limited. Mm-hmm. Is when you use your 
hand disruption spells, mm-hmm. right? If you're playing as a control player, as a mid-range player, and you're like, I can't beat Teferi, right. don't cast your duress on turn one. No. Cast your duress on turn four. On turn four. Yeah. Or, you know, or your turn five before they have their fifth mana. Right. So then they have the maximum amount of draw steps yeah. to hit a Teferi, and then you can snag that Teferi before they mm-hmm. get to cast it. Yeah, cast it when it matters, not when yeah. it's most mana efficient. Yeah, so this is important, like, in, in Limited, right? If you're playing Sealed, and game one you lost to, I don't know, personal experience, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, <laughs> right? And you're like, well, when they're on, like, eight or nine mana, like, this discard spell says discard target Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger. Right. And that's all you brought it in your out of your sideboard for is yeah. there to answer one card and you're not casting it on turn two or four. Mm-hmm. You're gonna cast it on turn nine. Right. Like Transgress gonna, the mind. Transgress the mind. Yeah. Right. You're gonna like be like, how much mana do you have? You have eight? Okay, I don't okay, need cool. to cast this now. <laughs> okay, you have eight still. Okay, you have nine. Okay, you could rip a land here. I'm gonna yeah. cast this. Yeah, now we have a problem. Now now I need to, to do it. So you want to wait. If your discard spell is in for a particular thing, mm-hmm. you need to wait until to give them maximum time to draw that thing. Right. And then use it. Yep. Just snapping it off early doesn't always do what you want it to do. Correct. Now, as a mid-range deck against control, like you just need to get something. Yeah. You need to trade your one mana for something that's going to kill your three mana thing later on. Right, or something that's going to let them go up in cards. Yeah, so you can do that early on Mm -hmm. because there's 25 things you need to hit. Right. But if it's like there are two things you need to hit, you need to wait and make sure you give yourself a chance to hit that. Correct. Just be mindful of when you cast your your discard spells. Mm -hmm. So we talked about mid-range versus aggro. Or uh, we talked about, sorry, combo versus aggro. Yeah. And combo versus control. Did we talk about combo versus combo? No, no, no. This is uh, this is the modern format. It the, is yes. uh, two ships passing in the night. Yep. You're basically playing goldfish. Yes. And because oftentimes there's not enough spots in combo decks for interaction. Like right. good combo decks, like really good combo decks that are resilient have interaction. So you think about in Legacy... Storm gets to play uh, duress and inquisition in mm-hmm. the main, mm-hmm. right? To clear out, to clear out things, so they have some interaction. So does Turbo Depths. Turbo Depths gets to play Thoughtseize and Inquisition. Yep. So you get that interaction, but most combo decks don't have slots right. for that. So instead, you're just relying on the fact that your a lot of times your matches are set, are decided before you sit down. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, I'm playing at nauseum. I'm a turn four slash five combo deck. Yeah. And uh, someone else is like, well, I'm Neo Brand. I'm Neo Brand. I'm a turn one to three combo deck. Yeah. Three happens before four. It sure does. I'm going to win this game 70 or 80% of the time because mm-hmm. well, I get to do my thing first. You know what doesn't care about Angel's Grace? Lab Man. Lab Man does not care about <laughs> Angel's Grace. I had to think. Labman doesn't care about a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Labman just says I win. Yes. It's a good place to be at Labman. Yeah. So it's a question of like knowing what the combo deck is mm-hmm. and then being like, okay, I know that I'm a turn four or five combo deck, but there are times where if there's no interaction, mm-hmm. I can be a turn three combo deck. I need to mulligan to the cards that let me be turn three. Yeah. Give yourself the best chance. And... I need to do everything I can the, w- the way you play to set up to get to being 
to get to that turn three. Mm -hmm. It might not happen, but you need to be working towards being as fast or faster than your yep. your opponent. And, you know, sometimes with combo decks, they fizzle. Yep. Right? I mean, maybe your opponent goes off with Neoform and they draw a bunch of cards that they don't hit. All their spirit guides are on the bottom. Yeah. And so, like, okay, now you get, like, you get a reprieve. Yep. And you get to you get to try to do your thing. Yep. But yeah, there are just times where you're just like, yeah, well, I don't get to do this. Yep. Anything else you want to touch on with uh, knowing your role? No, I think that's yeah, I think, think we've pretty, pretty we well covered, covered everything. It. If uh, if you guys have any questions about this, because this is kind of a tricky topic, um, if you have any questions or certain matchups in particular that you want our opinions on, feel free to shoot them to us. We'll talk about them. Yeah, it's. And like I said, a lot of these come from just playing. A lot. A lot. Yeah. And it really matters matchup specific, mm -hmm. right? The way you get past Esper Hero is not the way you get past Sultai Command if you're mono red. Not even close. Right. They're, They're completely different, different. Right. The the basic, you know, the basic tenets of what you want to do are the same, but mm -hmm. exactly what you have to do changes kind of yeah. wildly between all the different flavors of mid-range right and flavors of control mm -hmm. right like the way you beat grixis control is going to be different than the way you beat esper esper control yep right i agree so we're not going to go super deep into modern horizons today yeah that's for next week that's for next week but we did want to touch on some stuff Next week, we're going to be super positive about Modern Horizons. Uh, yeah. This week, we're going to be a little more measured, maybe. Sure. I have some things I want to say okay. that, are, that are not uh, all glowing. But first, <laughs> we want to touch on a few cards that we thought were looked neat. Yeah. And I'm going to rely on my trusty co-host here to bring up these cards so I don't screw them up here. Oh, okay. So the one that I'm excited about, let's see if I can get all, everything on this card right. Okay. So part of this set is I think the, the way they decided to make things good for Modern was to... Uh, just make their text boxes giant. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of words in this set. Yes. So is Goblin Engineer. So mm -hmm. here. He's one in a red. Yep. For a one-two. Mm -hmm. And when he comes into play, you get to search your deck for any artifact. Yep. And put it directly into your graveyard. Correct. Then you can pay a red. Mm -hmm. Sack an art. Tap him and sack an artifact to return an artifact CMC three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. You got there. Good job. Yeah, I already pre-ordered these. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in on Entomb. Yeah. I'm in on Entomb on a dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm there for that. Well, it's Entomb and Reanimate in the same card. Yeah, kind of. Reanimate baby little things. Well, sure, yeah. Yeah, well, I want to reanimate Inkwell Leviathan, which is... <laughs> they're making Blight Steel. They're making, he doesn't ever get to go to your graveyard. Oh, that's true. He can't he ever go to yeah. your graveyard. Yeah, boo. So, like I said, like, this card is Entomb for Artifacts that... Mm -hmm. Also, occasionally blocks. Yep. Okay, you're in a dark place. Here's my entomb <laughs> block with it. So it lets you get artifact stuff. So, you know, I know that we, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but there's a, a Bolus of Citadel deck that kind of ran around modern that people were trashed for treasuring to mm -hmm. get back Bolus of Citadel. Yep. This gives you more copies of Bolus of Citadel. Yeah. To put in your graveyard to trash or treasure. Mm -hmm. Trash or treasure, for those who don't know, two and a red, sorcery, uh, as additional cost, sacrifice an artifact, return an artifact from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yep. So it's basically Tinker. 
from your graveyard from your graveyard as opposed to tinker from your library Mm -hmm. like i think this card could open up some sort of reanimator ish Mm -hmm. artifact deck i agree so so you have trash for treasure and then you also have refurbish which is right on the edge of being playable if it was like a mana less it'd be great it was a mana less it'd be great but you also could maybe if you have enough artifacts things like pentad prisms and mox opals like you could get it to the point where it is Mm -hmm. a mana less just by virtue of having your mox opal Mm -hmm. and something so what kind of things do you want to tutor up with this card so like i said uh, inkwell leviathan yeah 711 shroud island walk yeah text doesn't matter if it comes down early enough right yeah yeah he's a 711 shroud island walk or something you could get like mere battle sphere oh that's a good one because he makes a bunch of little dudes you get blockers that can stabilize you and then Mm -hmm. he's just like a big beater i was thinking i was thinking way meaner okay uh this kind of screams prison to me Yes, I mean, you can. it can bring back a bridge. Yeah. So you can get Ensnaring Bridge, and it can bring back the bridge. Yeah. You can get Trinosphere, mm-hmm. and it brings back a Trinosphere. Thorn. You could also... Damping uh, Sphere. Yeah. Um, That's not really a lock piece, but... Um, and then Bolus of Citadel, like if you have yeah. enough cheap stuff, you get your Citadel on three, and mm-hmm. then just like vomit your deck onto the battlefield. Yep, machine gun. Yeah. I don't know what you get that's like good enough to like make it for the fact that you might hit a land and fizzle like yeah memnites and ornithopters are only so scary yeah, they only get you so far right and then like you great like if you keep- well i mean in that deck though like if you're trying to run that in a prison list you don't run memnark and ornithopter you run like chalice and moxes yeah. they're zero mana yeah, but then Chalice, like, you Chalice yourself for zero, then you can't cast the thing because you can't pay the mana cost off of Bolus the Citadel. Well, then you suck it to your Goblin Engineer and get something else. Fair. But no, like, Prison, it gives you more access to the to the artifact-based mm-hmm. lock pieces. Yeah. People have said, like, Godfaro's Gift. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Modern is a place for, like, 6-6 flying vigilant lifelink angels yeah. for the zombies. Like, I don't know if that's what we're about. Well... See, that's what it was in Standard, though. Like, I never tried to brew God Pharaoh's Gift in Modern. I'm yeah, I sure know, there, like the big dumb things, things that are, you could go get. Um, well, I mean, Mirror Battlesphere would be pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you could just put Mirror Battlesphere on, onto the battlefield. Yeah. Right. But no, uh, so there are a bunch of, like, big dumb artifacts that you could go get. Mm-hmm. I mean, on some level, even, like, you know, you can't bring it back with the Engineer, but even a God Pharaoh statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, just it's, make everything cast cost two more yeah like it's a double thalia on all your opponent's spells yeah that's pretty good yeah that's pretty good so there's some things to do there like i'm i'm a fan of entomb mm-hmm. and so then you had something down here yeah i'm kind of stoked for uh ren and stimpy i mean yeah. uh ren and six yeah like it has like a guy wearing like a groot mech suit or something i don't know what's going on <laughs> in that art well how, how do you know it's not a groot holding a guy i mean Fair. who's who I don't know. I don't know who's who. Yeah, I'm stoked for this card. We were kind of talking a little bit before the before the show tonight about kind of the awkward spot that modern's in right now, and I'm sure that Brian wants to talk about this in a minute, so I'm yeah. not going to get super deep into it. But this is the card that I was hoping for out of this set. This is a card that potentially creates an entire new archetype, and it's got me really excited. It's so what a, does it do? Uh, so it's a. Our second two-drop Planeswalker ever, right? It's not Utter Trash. It, like it is not one. Utter. Yeah, it is not Utter Trash. First one, Utter Trash. Yep. Sorry, Tybalt. It is a green and a red for a Planeswalker. I believe it comes in with four loyalty? Three loyalty. Three. It's plus one is a return a land from your graveyard to your hand. This is super relevant in modern because not only do you get to 
get up on lands with your fetch lands, but if you're playing a lands-ish deck, um, you also get to buy back all your ghost quarters and field of ruins. Yeah. So you can just ruin your opponent's mana base. The neg one is also pretty relevant in modern. Um, it deals one damage to any target, so it hits Dark Confidant. It hits um, a bunch of the humans before they start getting counters on them. I guess the Delvers before they flip, if that's Delvers before deck. they flip. Uh, yeah, Pyromancer. Pyromancers. There's a ton of relevant hits. It hits Thalia. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of really, really good hits for it. And randomly, I guess if you needed to, you could dome your opponent, even though that's probably not the best way of doing that. And then Neg 7 is you get an emblem, which gives all instants and sorceries in your graveyard retrace. So what is a retrace, since this is one of the bajillion uh, mechanics in this set? Yeah, uh, retrace is a mechanic from Shadowmoor? Yeah, it's like Lorem Block. Yeah, where you could cast it out of your graveyard by sacrificing a land. No, discarding a land. You don't sacrifice, you discard the land. Discard? It's discard. Okay. Do you have to have the land in your hand and discard? Yep. So, like, the plus one puts lands in your hand, and right. you can discard it for your spells. And the spell doesn't go away when you retrace it. it right. Just stays it doesn't in your get graveyard. exiled like a flashback. It just so stays every, in your graveyard. Every time you draw a land, you can recast that spell. So, like, Raven's yep. Crime yep. is one that's played. It's a black target opponent or target player discards a card. Mm-hmm has a retrace so you get raven scrimed and then your eight rack opponent can just every land they draw is just a discard make you spell discard. yeah yep. make you discard a card yep this looks really interesting mm-hmm. my first thought is like it might be a legacy card more than it is a modern card oh i'm sure it goes into legacy like legacy lands like well this will see play in uh four color loam too yeah yeah like it, it's a you know like exploration into this wasteland you bring back my wasteland yeah good game yeah. <laughs> cool cool I, I i win yeah my punishing fires just have discard a land cast yeah. punishing fire i don't have to put it back in my hand absolutely cool they deal two damage instead of one yep so this goes to one of my my kind of biggest complaint with my, we're going to talk about more cards yeah next week next week we're going to skip right. over all the sweet stuff that i'm sure you've seen we definitely have some more cool cards that we want to talk about but that's for next week yeah my big problem with this set thus far is I don't know what modern format these cards are for. So if this set makes modern a slow mid-range format, mm-hmm. then a lot of these cards are going to be good. They're going to be great. If modern is Neo brand Boreo's Vengeance, where you're casting Goryeo's Vengeance on Ilrag, the, yeah. the the pig god, yeah. and like attacking and putting Emrakuls in on turn two, infect. Yeah. Ren and Six kind of looks silly then. Yeah, it's like, oh, I paid two mana for my placeworker to draw a land. It's like, yeah. oh, I paid two mana to kill you. Yeah. I just 21 you. Yeah, that's cool, right? We, yeah. We did it. So I worry like that I don't know what format mm-hmm. these are for. Like, this format... For the last almost year, right? Like, yeah. Jund has been unplayable. Unplayable. And ever since like the Hollow One lists and like Bridgevine, like when all of that started, like Modern all of a sudden got a turn faster. Yeah, it was like everyone was just like, oh, wait, we can't just do busted stuff, can't yeah. we? We should just try to do busted stuff. Yeah, and then everybody did busted stuff, and it was KCI, and like I said, Hollow One Bridgevine. Now we got Neo Brand, where decks are just killing you before you can do something. I mean, even Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix is like the grindy deck in the format. Yeah, and it's still what, turn four deck? It still has the draws where it's like, here's six power on turn two, or here's yeah. nine power on two, turn two with haste. Yeah. 
good luck. Like you're on a two turn clock on turn two. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, 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 I didn't know. I didn't know this is what, what I was going to be in for. And that's the, that's the fair deck in the format is bringing back free three, two hasters. Right. That is a problem. I worry that they were building decks mm-hmm. in R&D's future, future, modernly or whatever yeah. that were the decks they wanted to be good in modern yeah. and not the decks that exist in current modern. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they realized how impactful a lot of the standard sets they were printing were going to be. Like, yeah. I'm sure they, they weren't like looking for Neoform to be like a modern all-star. Right. I'm sure they were just like, this is a throwaway. It's uncommon. a draft card. Yeah, it's a throwaway uncommon to do something neat in yeah. draft. Oh, look, it's cool. It has Prime Speaker Vanifer's ability. Yeah, but instead it's like, oh, wait, no, it like makes an archetype. Yeah. So I just worry that we are going to have a lot of cards that are going to like make some pretty sweet commanders and make some pretty sweet commander cards. Yeah. And are just never going to see play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say they've they have spoiled some swords. Oh, man. At Mythic. Yeah. No one has played a sword in modern in years. And the old swords are like better. leaps and bounds better. They are way better. Yeah. I have a box coming and I'm going to be like livid if I open like a sword. I'm like, this is unplayable. Yeah. Like, show me the format that this plays in. Yeah. You're not going to play them in Legacy. Like, no. they're not nearly as good as uh, Sword of Fire and Ice. Or Jet. Yeah. Like, you're just not going to, not as good. Yeah. So that's my concern is like, they just don't have car the cards aren't lining up with the pace of the current format right and you know i i don't know how you fix that actually i was hoping for some power creep and i think if they put some power creep in the set which i think they did like this set is very powerful i think in doing that they make the format a little bit slower but i don't see that it was done the right way all of the decks that i see portrayed are like turn five decks that get a sweet new card they're not it's not something that's going to answer a turn one or a turn two deck yeah and i don't know if you had the power creep Mm -hmm. i i think that that would lead to new decks like if you had a really pushed three mana artifact enabler yeah that like kind of like stood on its own then maybe you get like a cool new artifact deck yeah but if that cool pushed thing is 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 a four mana thing, yeah, which we have, is that cool artifact deck gonna be a thing? Not if you're dead on turn three. Yeah, and the, so that's my concern is they have some powerful cards that are like a mana too expensive yeah. for modern, and you know there are some cards that you look at and go like, especially a lot of the uncommons is like. Yeah. Yes, there's a ton of text on this card, but you could put it in standard and it wouldn't be played. It's like it's only here because it's too complex, not because it's too powerful. Yeah, and and like I understand they have to make like a functional draft and sealed environment. Yeah. But like some of the cards, I'm just like, why? Why is this here? Like I could see this being in, in another set. Right. Similarly, some of the cards that got reprinted into modern. Yeah. I have no idea how they think some of them are playable. Right. Like and, you'd think that if they were, you know, only going to reprint a certain number of cards that those cards in particular you would want in the format for some reason or another. Yeah, not just to have printed them. Right. Cuz there are some that I'm just like, huh? Yeah. Uh I think like I saw like Nantuko Caretaker or yeah. something. Like that's a reprint. Yeah. Of a card that's never been played in a legacy match ever. Right. And is never going to be played in a modern match. Like, we could have changed its name to, like, Druid Caretaker. Yeah, and and put it in any set. Put it in any set. Yeah. But then we still would have had 
a cool card to put in. Like, yeah. you know, Spore we'll, Frog. Spore Frog. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Like that needed to be in modern for some reason. Right. So I think one of the things that we had talked about before when we did our list was mm-hmm. all the cards that we wanted to be reprinted right. spawned a new modern archetype. Yeah. Almost all of them spawned a new modern archetype or yeah. took a mar- an modern archetype that was kind of down and out yeah historically been good yeah like tier two tier two and a half or or like you know jund right you know, hey it used to be good now it's like tier two or yeah. tier two tier two and a half yeah if we if we give it this card it brings this brings this deck back up to being a tier one deck yep and a lot of the reprints so far don't seem to accomplish that goal nope not at all in my opinion and this is coming from somebody who loves Jund. It would take a significant change in the format for Jund to be good again. Yeah. I don't think you could print a singular card into Jund to make it good again. I think the format as a whole has to change. Fair enough. The cards that they've brought in from Legacy yeah. to Modern, none of them have felt like a shot right. to to make an archetype better. Mm-hmm. It just, it's just like, hey, wasn't Factor Fiction fun? Yeah. Let's put factor fiction into the format. Cool. So am I cutting my Jace or my Cryptic for this FOF? Uh, neither. Neither. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I know that Logan was like, I'm going to be resolving factor fiction. <laughs> I know it, I think it's going to be bad, but I'm still going to do it. Cool. Live your life. Yeah. But like, I don't think anyone was like, oh man, we really need factor fiction to make modern right. a healthier, better format. Right. Like, I think the best reprint in, this, in the modern might be Lava Dark. Uh, you were pretty happy for... Uh... Oladomri's Call, right? Oladomri's Call, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. But, like, Lava Dark's going to just make all the Phoenix decks, like, ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I, I need to cast two spells to bring back my Phoenix. Oh, look, I have this one card. Ta-da. Ta-da, we did it. Another one that, like, I think is a really cool reprint into the format, but again, probably isn't going to do a whole lot unless the format as a whole changes, is Kess. Oh, yeah, Kess just came out today. Yeah. One, it may have just been reprinted because it was played in Legacy and it only had a foil printing yeah. from the Commander, Commander product. Yeah. And it was back, uh, like, from, like, a two years ago. Two years ago, ago, I think. When they were uh, printing all of their cards on toilet paper. Yeah. And, like, you couldn't actually play it in sanctioned tournaments. Like, yeah. You had to, because it curled so bad. Yeah, they had, were curled, like, right out of the box. Yeah, so you, like, there were, like, actual sanctioned tournaments where people were, like, proxying their yeah. their Kesses. Yep. So this might just be an answer to, hey, we need an uncurled Kess. It could be. I mean, I think the card's sweet. Card, and I mean, it card, probably makes Grixis control better, but in this modern format, I also think it's unplayable. Great. Like, it's playable in Legacy, because, like, Legacy, you have more answers and like, these, like, the games turn into big, long slogs. Yeah. I think they're really leaning super hard, and we're going to talk about, like, a really on Force of Negation. Yeah. One blue, blue, counter-target non-creature spell. If it's not your turn, you can exile a blue card to cast Force of Negation, counter-target spell, and you yeah. exile the spell when it's countered. Yep. Right? But, like, it's not going to be as ubiquitous as Force. It's not going to be, like, no. a main deck card. Absolutely not. It, it might be a two-of, right? And, like, if I go for my combo, I'm hoping to fade two, one of the two Force of Negations from my blue player. Right. Not four. And I don't think it's going to be like Legacy where, like, you know, probably 50 or 60% of the decks are blue. Yeah. Right? I don't think Modern is going to turn into that. Yeah, and that's the other part of it. Even, like, a lot of the decks that are blue in Modern aren't necessarily blue enough to, you know, have a card to pitch to a force. Yeah, and that force isn't going to be everywhere because it can't, like, answer a creature. Right. So, like, they might be leaning really hard on that, making the format slower like Legacy. Yeah. 
but I don't think it's going to be around enough. Yeah, I don't think so. So, either. you know, we've still got another 100 cards. Yeah, something like that. So there could be some stuff that, like, really, like, makes the whole thing fit together. Yep. But I also worry that we're not going to get those pieces. Yeah. I haven't looked at the number crunch at all. I don't know, uh, like, how many more rares or mythics or how yeah, the colors are broken either. down or whatever. But, I mean, I don't even know if they need to be rares or mythics. Like, there could be right. some uncommons that, like, really tie the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. But I just haven't really seen those. I feel like a lot of the uncommons are just there to be to make the limited environment work. Yeah. But if you are going to play this set, study up on the last 10 years of mechanics. Oh, uh, yes. There are a lot of them. There's... There's a lot of, like, one random mechanic that was, like, in one set that people were like, this was a mistake. Yeah. So uh, learn what the untap symbol looks like because there's one card that has there is the one untap card. symbol on it. Yep. So, yeah. So there's going to be some crazy stuff that's going to be, be yeah. going on. Yeah, there's 40-something mechanics in this yeah. set. So do your homework before you uh, show up to pre-release or GPDC. All right, so um, the next thing, the Arena MCQW, the MCQ Weekend. Yeah, how'd that go? Well, I would like to tell everyone that I appreciate your confidence in me, because on the show notes it says congrats for taking the whole thing down. I, in fact, got dumpstered. Yeah, sorry about that. Browned, I don't know what you would call it. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely Uh, made these show notes on, like, Wednesday. Yes. I mean, I appreciate the confidence. I went uh, the flawless defeat. I went 0-2-0-2. Yeah. I played against Blue Green Yoink. Yoink. And game one, missed my third land drop after casting a Jade Light Ranger. Mm. A plus. Got all my stuff stolen. Game two, got all my stuff stolen. Took my Tameo and just started looping his mass manipulation. Oh, great. Yeah. And then the second match, I played against uh, Command, and they cast their Command a turn before me both games. So I didn't have a Command in my top 28 cards. And lost because of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually was able to play a Lily, Elder Spell, two Planeswalkers, oh. alt my Lily, but the creature that they were able to save was a 10-10 Hedred Crisis. Oh, so I was able to fight through that, but then I lost to a 2-2 Graces because I just couldn't get enough yeah. stuff together. So I went 0-2, and a man of my word, I went into the Home Depot bracket. Oh, boy. I have a very nice little, uh, little like, patio step off my back porch now that I built in the 100-degree South Carolina heat. Yeah, it was pen- brutal this weekend. As as penance for uh, going 0-2. <laughs> I think I put in our, in our team chat that I gave that brief tournament report, and then I was like, under my tweet about the cool new like arena they had a new arena play area yeah for it it was like a stadium with a bunch yeah, of it kind of cool bunch of itty bitty little people cheering um they weren't cheering for you though no. they were cheering for the yeah. other guy yeah andre strosky was like well hype is dead win oh two yeah and then there were like four or five other like well-known magic players that replied to him that were like O two, I'm done. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I had the flawless O two O two, and he wrote back, he's like, I at least won two games. <laughs> I was like, show off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, one of the things you asked was, what did the meta game look like? Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't quite know what to think of it because it was an odd tournament. It was odd, and the structure was odd. Oh, yeah. so we talked about maybe there being a Twitter meltdown. Mm-hmm. I didn't see said Twitter meltdown. But what ended up happening was is that everyone that was seven and two made day two. Okay. And then I think it was the six threes went into the tiebreaker scrum. Okay. 
and well, not six threes. You can only get two oh, losses. Sorry, six six twos. Yeah. Again, I keep thinking it's a real tournament. Uh, six twos went into like a tiebreaker scrum, and then that shook out. Okay. So they had 128 deck lists mm-hmm. for uh, the day two, and uh, kind of think it's comical. Yeah. Mono red was 29 percent of the uh, day two metagame. Holy moly! And you might be thinking. Well, that makes sense if it's best of one. Oh, this was best of three. It was best of three. This was best of three, yeah. and it was 30% mono red. And um, to tell you how good mono red is, Corey Burkhart, noted Grixis control player, yeah. was on mono red. He he top 16 Yeah. He was on mono red. Uh, then the next deck was a Gruel, mm-hmm. like a Gruel kind of mid-range aggro deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, was 15%, and this deck is kind of like the classic arena deck in the VTCLA, I think. Okay. Uh, noted like Magic Online, like deck builder, mm-hmm. and uh, tweeted out like, hey, this is the list I would play this weekend. I think it's really well positioned. Mm-hmm. Tweeted it out like Friday. Mm-hmm. It was 15% of the day two meta. Wow. Uh, or the decks that made day two. Yeah. So 45% of the decks in that made day two. So half the tournament basically was, was either it, was mountain. Yeah. Was like basic mountain yeah. aggressive decks. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then you had mono white, which was nine percent. Way down there. Way down there. So then four color command was seven percent. Yeah. And then I kinda added in salt high command. Okay. Uh, to get that, that ended up being 12%. Like, all the decks that were playing Command were about okay. 12%. And you ended up on Sultai Command, right? I ended up on Sultai Command because, again, of, like, the rapidly changing arena metagame. Yeah. There was this deck that just was referred to on the, the Arena Decklist podcast as Japanese Green-Black. <laughs> and Japanese Green-Black played four Assassin's Trophies and three to four Casualties of War. Oh, boy. And they were relying on the fact that all these three and four color Planeswalker decks don't have any basics. Mm-hmm. And they were just assassin trophying people's lands and stone raiding them. Ouch. And so apparently the solution that a lot of people came up with was to play a single basic forest in their deck. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that does enough when your opponent has four assassins trophies. Right, and they're just stone raining you. So I went and I played Saltai because it gets to play like four basics. Right. And like I just didn't want to get stone rained out of a tournament. Mm-hmm. So, and I felt like both decks were good against like kind of mid-rangey mm-hmm. piles. So I didn't think I was giving up a whole lot there. Yeah. But yeah, like that deck kind of became a thing like Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And so like there was all this like, I was like, I don't want to play against this and then get like got. It ended up that I think like, two of them yeah made uh midday two made day two now i don't know if this is exactly the day two metagame because you were actually allowed to change decks between day one and day two. Oh, really yeah solid that's terrible so what i think happened was is that you get to it's a it's a brand new it's arena a whole, event. whole separate event it's a whole separate event so you can register another deck Man. so you could look at what the day one because they put out the day one metagame i think before day two yeah so you could see what people had had uh and then change it up and then change it up if you thought that was the way to go yeah so uh, i'm gonna say people didn't do that judging by the 30 percent mono red i'm assuming they just jammed their mono red decks yeah, yeah. so i thought the 30 percent sounded really high yeah. so i was like well let me compare it to the scg that was the week before mm-hmm. right and so you have mono red at the SCG the week before was 19% of day two. 
Okay. And there were 113 day two participants at the SCG. So it's a similar size. Similar size. So it was 19% mono red, 12% Phoenix. I think Phoenix was like 4% of the arena one. Yeah, I don't. I don't even see it on here. I'm uh, sure it's here somewhere. It but, is. Oh it yeah, is. there it is. Five. Uh, there are five. There were there were five total decks out of 128. Yeah. Then Esper mid range was 12%, mm-hmm. and then mono white, which was kind of I took mono white and blue white aggro and like mushed. Yeah, together. they're basically yeah. the same deck. That was 11%. Yeah. And then Esper control was 9%. Mm-hmm. So like in the course of a week, it was a totally different. Yeah, that's crazy. It was totally different, and I think that's just what we go back to like the arena metagame moves so fast. Yeah. And I think that's like my frustration with the format. Yeah. Is like, like we said, like you need to get reps against decks to learn how to play against them. And like last night I was like, well, I'm going to play some best of three. Cause like, even though I got totally dumpstered, I didn't, I like, I enjoyed like playing the best of mm-hmm. three more than the best of one. So I was like, well, let me play some. I played against six different decks last night in six matches. Wow. And I'm like, I'm never going to learn. I'm never going to get enough reps in to like learn exactly how yeah. you play the Bant Nexus deck and then play the Ju- against the Judith deck. So like, I think that's just really hard mm-hmm. as a as a more casual player that's yeah. like still competitive. Somebody that doesn't have days to spend. Yeah, like you know, I'm you know, I'm not Caleb Durward. I don't right. gonna like my job isn't to play Magic for eight hours a day. Yeah, like I, I'm just never going to get enough reps. Yeah to to see that i got down to whatever w is number wise in the alphabet Mm -hmm. that's how many different archetypes were in represented represented in day two two. that's insane so yeah so like you did it was a really wide thing but it was exactly kind of what our best of one data looks like where it's like here's mono red Mm -hmm. and here's everything else here's a couple other little things that are like a reasonable percent and then like i played one of these and two of these and three and like it's just a bunch of like two and three percenters the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah, like I guess if you would have gone in with a deck that gunned for mono red, but then still you get like my matchups where you're like blue green and command, you're like, oh my deck's not good. Yeah. Well, I mean, even even if you do that though, I'm gonna you know say the flip side here, but mono red's only thirty percent of the meta. So if you build your deck to beat 30% of the meta, you're probably going to lose to 70% of the meta. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, you can't... There's not enough overlap between yeah. the decks to, like, make it so you can, like, have a deck that's good against enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I went, again, on that, like, string of tweets uh, from Andre Strasky, a guy was like, I thought I had a really good deck. It was a little shaky against Mono Red. Got paired against Mono Red twice in yeah. the first two rounds, went 0-2. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, you know, some pairings lottery there as well. Like, you know, there's so many different archetypes. Mm-hmm. And this is what made day two. Yeah. There were, like, 4,000 people in the tournament. Yeah. Like, you could have played against anything different archetypes yeah. in your eight rounds. And never saw mono red. Never saw mono red. It would have just been like, oh, this doesn't exist. Yeah. And you see the results, and you're like, oh, no, it, it exists. <laughs> they found it. So we also had on here, what could we do to make this better? Yeah. I think one... Is it like, make it an actual tournament? Make it an actual tournament. Yeah. Like Swiss pairings. I know they don't have that in the system yet. Yeah. But it needs to be there. And I know we like established the tiebreakers before the tournament. Mm-hmm. But at least now maybe we know what the tiebreakers are going to be. Right. Right. Like I don't think this season getting to Mythic matters. Yeah. I don't think it qualifies you for anything, right? But next, the next season that qualifies you for another one of these, mm-hmm. they should come like when they announce, like, "Hey, this qualifies you." They should clearly announce state, the like, tournament. Then 
here's how the tournament's structured. Yeah. So you know exactly what you're getting in for when you start trying to hit Mythic. Right. Right, as opposed to like waiting to the week before and being like, surprise, here's how your breakers work. Yeah. Um, Too bad. You wore Red Sox today. Yeah, you wore Red Sox. But like having a real tournament, like the fact you could switch decks in between was weird. Yeah, that's really weird. There were also like, I didn't get the email for day two, but I did see some people complaining about like going 5 2 day two and like getting caught up in the tiebreaker scrum. Oh. And like it, I don't know how exactly clear it was what the tiebreakers were. Because like if you went eight zero mm-hmm. and then went five two, your eight zero didn't count for anything. For anything. Oh, that's awful. Your eight zero just got you into day two. So it was, it, your eight zero just got you into another tournament. Mm-hmm. So going seven two or six two, you were on the same footing. As someone that went 8-0. So, because people were like, like my 8-0 didn't matter for anything. I went 5-2 and then like lost on breakers. And I was like, well, that's the how they, it's their tournament. That's how they decided to structure it. Man. And it's like, well, that's awful. That's terrible. Like, that's not how you would run an actual tournament. Like, yeah, hey, you know not that, even day close. One, that day one you participated in? I do remember it. Yeah, yeah. we don't. Yeah, let's forget about that. Yeah, we don't remember that. But yeah. I did really well. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think part of that was because of how the, the pairings were done, right? Yeah. It wasn't Swiss. It was just like, Oh, that's true. You can't, can't count for anything if it's not Swiss, right? It's hard to, but yeah. at the same time, though, like, it also seems really weird to be like, hey, we're going to forget your day one. Yeah. That was my kind of big arena experience. Like I said, I ended up at Home Depot. Yeah. I bought a shovel and a mattock and dug some holes. So you got some actual work done. I got some actual work done. <laughs> And then my other arena experience was just kind of testing out decks yeah. and playing like unranked stuff to just try to figure out how things worked. Mm-hmm. And then I played Momir. Yeah, how'd you do? It's Momir. Like yeah. it's random. Like sometimes they hit seven mana and they get a Elder Dragon that has flying haste and trample. Yeah. And you thought you were stable and you're dead. And then you're seven. <laughs> and then your seven mana is like a five five no text. And you're like, <laughs> this doesn't seem right. So, okay, so for people who don't know what Momir is, Momir is an online Magic-only format. Mm -hmm. It started on Magic Online and has been ported to Arena. Kind of. Kind of. And what it is on Arena is you have this little button that you click, Mm -hmm. and you can pay any amount of mana that you have. And discard a card. And discard a card, and you get any creature with that converted mana cost. Randomly. Randomly. So yep. any creature currently programmed into Arena, so right. anything from Ixalan forward, mm-hmm. you pay three and discard a card, and you get a creature. Mm-hmm. Now, this Momir has a wrinkle. Right. Usually your decks are just Basically lands. Basically Yep. And then, the Momir, and then you hit the Momir button, yep. and you get random stuff, and you cross your fingers that it doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. This also has Planeswalkers. In your deck. In your deck. So you get lands and Planeswalkers. And so you can like cast your plane, cast any of, it's the World of Spark Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. So you can play them and like have their effect as well. So it kind of adds an extra wrinkle. Mm -hmm. Do I want to pay four mana and spin the wheel or do I want to cast my Veraska? Right. And right, it also kind of changes how you play your lands. Yes. You're like, oh, do I want to... I'm hoping I draw a bolus. I'm going to make sure I play out my Grixis lands yeah. so I can maybe bolus someone. But it's fun. Yeah, like it's, it's Momir. I don't I don't love Momir. I don't love it either. The I guess the upside of it is it's a free event. Yeah. Uh, you get card styles mm-hmm. of the different... Stained glass, right? The stained glass cards, uh, card art styles. Yeah. So it's a way for you to get... Um, some cool skins. Get some cool stuff. 
And like again, if you're trying to like get your wins and you don't feel like right spinning the wheel on one of like a bajillion different standard archetypes, you're just gonna spin the wheel somewhere somewhere else. Well, kind of like if if your goal is to you know cast twenty red spells, you're not gonna get that with Momir though because you're not casting. You cast your planeswalkers. It takes a while. Yeah, a long time. It takes a long time. Yeah, but if you're just trying to get like four wins for the day, right? Yeah, or something, or if you're just like I want to like relax and do something brain dead like mm-hmm. momir's here for you yep <laughs> pro tip i think the only 10 mana card in standard is imperious great worm okay if you hit 10 you always just get a 16 16 indestructible oh, that's pretty good i had an opponent uh get a nissa yeah get oh to, get to 10 on turns like six and then make great worms and then make great worms when i then they altered their nissa and then got the rest of the forest out of their deck in just every turn. Yeah. I lost to four 16-16s. That's pretty good. Yeah, the Planeswalkers you want to play are the ones that are like removal spells. Yeah, I got a, the last one I played, I got a Lily in my opener. And That's good. Won that game easy. But like, Kaya's good. Yep. Uh, the, the Wanderer's the good. The Wanderer's good. Uh, Dovin's all right, because he bubbles right, something. Dovin's bubbles something. Lily's good. Yep. Ugin. Ugin. And uh, Bolas. Bolas. And then Varaska's good. It's just like, yeah, Vereska's oddly good. Yeah, but then there's some, like, Jace is super hard to cast. And yeah. Drawing a card's important, but it's not that great. Keyword is oddly good. Yeah, Because, like, ramp. the big things, and the yeah. big things draw you cards. Draw you cards. But you want the Planeswalkers to give you, like, card advantage. Like, Tybalt's no good. Tybalt's not great. Ashiok's no good. Ashiok's terrible. Yeah. Karn's terrible. Yeah. Karn is just the first thing you discard. Yep. Sorry, Karn, you're going to be a three-drop now. <laughs> There's also usually in Momir you want to wait till three to play things. Right. But there's an argument that you can you will need to play things on two. Okay. Because you need to be able to pressure their planeswalker if they play like a three mana planeswalker. Oh, all right. It's kind of like the the same limited uh, is like in limited. Okay. Here where like if you get a two drop down that can pl- pressure their planeswalker and not let them get value. Mm-hmm. Also, Dafriel is good because they run out of cards faster. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So there's a handful that are good, but like there's some that you can just like get rid of, and you're often in this like awkward spot of like, well, if I draw a forest, I can play Domri. Yeah, the man is really awkward. Fight if something you're trying to, like cast your planeswalkers. Yeah, but I haven't drawn a forest yet. Do I just discard this and keep this other planeswalker that might be better later on? Yeah. So it is like awkward there, mm-hmm. and it is like super random. Yeah. But like. What are you gonna do? Yeah, but it is like a it is a reasonable palate cleanser from like the grind. Yeah, from so what yeah. you've been doing lately. Yes, <laughs> losing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that's like basically everything. Hopefully, I actually took notes. I got like seven matches in last night of best okay. of three. So hopefully, I can put together some best of three stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I might end up liking it better than best of one. We'll see. The more I play best of three, the more I like it. It does take a little bit longer, so it's harder to like squeeze your games in. Yeah, you are committing to something longer. Yeah, like I've been trying to get my games in in the morning, and playing best of one, I think the format in general is faster. Yeah. Like before work in the morning, if I got like an hour to jam some games in, I was able to get you know six or seven games in, where best of three, like I'll get a match in. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about best of three, and again, this is the reptilian brain, is right when you go two one, yeah, you go up two steps. Right. When you go one two, you go down two steps. Right. Two zero is up two steps. O two is down two steps. So I yeah. feel like it feels like when you get a win and you lose, like you're throwing that win away. Yeah. On the ladder. And I know that over a long enough time frame, the two ones that take you up two steps balance out the one twos. Yeah. But like in the moment, you're just like, this feels awful. Yeah. 
awkward. Yeah, you're just like, eh. Like, you know. There like, would only have been one step in best yeah, of one. Exactly. I would have I only gone down one. Yeah. Yes. And you know, like, you know in your head. Yeah. But in your heart, it hurts. <laughs> so you're just like, that's something I still, like, I'm not a huge fan of. But, like, I haven't played enough of it to see. So hopefully we'll have some best of three data next week. Mm-hmm. But like if it looks like the day two meta game, like it's gonna be like, hey, here's like one deck and then a bunch of things I played once. Yeah, I'm I pretty think, sure that's what it's gonna look like. Yeah, I think that's everything though. I think that's everything for this week. Uh, stay tuned next week for our War of the Spark or not? Wow, well, yeah, not War of the Spark, Modern Horizons uh, video episode. Yep. If you don't want to look at us, we'll have we'll have it published normally. Yeah, we'll get it up uh, in yep. in normal fashion. Yep. It says here in the show notes that we're supposed to beg for uh, audience interaction. Yeah, please so, give us some feedback. So please, we're we're begging you. And not you, Nick. You already you already did twice. So thanks. Nick, Nick Nick's Nick's doing Lord's work here. <laughs> um, someone else needs to get involved here. Yep. Can't can't have Nick be our. I mean, Nick can be our super fan. Uh, he we, could, yeah. But we we don't we don't want Nick to be our only super fan. We want more super fans. <laughs> So again, uh, Casual Tripod on Twitter. Yep, uh, Casual Tryhard MTG on Facebook, and you can email us at casualtryhardmtg at gmail dot com. We also confirmed Nick does like Tim Hortons. He does. Yeah, uh, so, does not like the strawberry creamer though. Does not like strawberry creamer as a, as a, as nope. a thing. <laughs> so with that, uh, we'll see you next week. Yep, we'll catch you up enough.